It's time for building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. Tabletop game design. The it's at the end of the episode, that's when it technically ends. Hello and welcome to Building the Game, a documentary podcast. Today is Monday, November 25th, and you're listening to episode 391. Today I'm joined once again by my buddy Julio. How's it going, pal? Hey, Jason. I'm doing good. How about you? Fantastic. Fantastic. I'm recording with you, which always makes me happy. Really? I Maybe I can't <laughs> say the same sometimes. Oh. Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> No, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I kid. I kid. <laughs> well, yeah, it's just. I guess it's been it's been an interesting week, uh, board game design wise. It's. It, I, I've actually had a, like a designer meeting earlier in the week, and it went really well. I, I guess the game designers from North Carolina and Asheville is growing. We're getting mm-hmm. at least you know five to seven people per meeting, so that's pretty cool. Um, but getting a lot of uh, interesting, I guess, ideas from other designers, seeing what they're working on is pretty, pretty cool. So I, I did that. And then uh, one of my, uh, I guess, designer friends there, Seth McCormick, he's a professor at a local university. And he invited me to one of his classes to just play test because he's actually a art history professor. Okay. And, and he had... Uh, like he has like a game, uh, it's a art like an art theory class, but he uses game design as part of the curriculum. Cool. And one of the projects is to make a game design. And he invited me to just play test the students' games, and it's a master's degree class, so it's a small class, like five people. Mm. So in three hours, we got to play test every single one of the prototypes. And in their own way, man, they were really unique. They're, they're a little off the wall and stuff, but they were unique. I mean, it's it's one of those things where when new people come into the to the hobby, they just bring unique and cool ideas. So mm-hmm. that was pretty uh, fun thing to do. And now I'm just kind of traveling for work. So I drove six hours to the, today and six hours tomorrow. So hopefully I'll get some some cool ideas to work on some new designs, which I did today. And maybe I can share that later. What about you? What's been awesome. going on? Yeah, I uh, I had to get some prototype prototype stuff done this week in a rush, and that was so that was a little time consuming. Um, I was out of town a little bit last week for some business stuff, and uh, yeah, so now I'm just uh, I've kind of calm before the storm. This the uh, next week, or it's actually the week this will be airing. I'll be in San Francisco for a few days with my wife uh, on a work trip for her that I'm going to use for some networking, and then uh, yeah, so. Um, it's okay. it's been nice. busy stuff. Uh, I'm excited. I'm going to Ken Franklin's this weekend and getting to play some games again, which is always fun. So I love going to his house and playing some games, uh, some prototypes and stuff. But yeah, yeah, cool. That's uh, well, I that's guess the big uh, stuff. For, for yeah, for for me, I guess is a uh, Pax Unplugged. At the time this airs, uh, Pax Unplugged will be the week after. I guess mm-hmm. so. It's a good time. So if anybody's going to Pax Unplugged, uh, just kind of reach out to me. And we'll, let's play some games. So you know, it's the, there's the the hustle, I guess. I've been contacting publishers, setting up meetings, and it's getting rule books ready. And I got a lot of prototypes. I got to prepare. It's awesome. it's it's getting it's getting uh, busy, but it's a fun kind of busy, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I um, I saw a designer post on Facebook recently. I remember it was I don't remember if it was I think it was John Gilmore actually, but he posted. 
Yesterday, readiness for Metatopia, 90%. Today, 60%. Um, <laughs> I thought, I've been <laughs> yeah, there. Man, I know that feeling. There's always something coming up. And, and, and one of the things, this is going to be part of the, I guess, of our topic, but um, one of my designs uh, got... I guess accepted as a finalist in the Hippo Dice competition. That's a German uh, design competition that's been around. I don't know. It's like the thirty-second year that they've been doing it, so it's been around a while. And it's uh, one of my games, Marvelous Works, which is the heaviest game and most complex prototype that I made. So that's I'm gonna have to make a new prototype for that. So that's you know eight hours down the drain between now right, and back some right. That'll be fun. Yeah. So I've been saying, I've said this on multiple shows now, but next year, PAX Unplugged is going to be a priority for me. Um, now, yeah, that's, uh, I want to pick an extra convention or two to go to, and PAX Unplugged seems like the one. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and this is going to be a good one for me because I'm going to be meeting with some of the publishers that I've already signed game games with. That's fun. And kind of have some development uh, meetings and which brings the point that I have officially been added to Board Game Geek as a designer. So that's wow. that's pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's pretty cool. I, I guess the first publisher that posted one of my games is Talent Strike Studios. And they uh, have posted my game. It's called Hunted, as in spooky hunted. So it it was my game called Spellbinders. It's an I guess a year old design. Um, I signed it pretty quickly, and it's you know contrary to the popular belief that I only do uh, physical table presence stuff. This is a card only design. Wow. So wow. I didn't know you could do that, Julia. <laughs> No, yeah, yeah. It was. It actually. It was kind of like a resource conversion type, uh, like um, Splendor Century Spice Road. Uh, so it has some cubes, cubes originally, but after some development, they actually figured out a way of doing it with just cards, which is even cooler. That is. So they're still doing some some changes to things, and I'm excited to see wh- uh, where the game can can go because it's a pretty. You know, I mean, I'm the designer, so I'm a little skewed there, but it's a pretty cool design. Awesome, awesome. Congrats on that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Floodgate Games is, you know, they've I've seen some more pictures of my game, so I'm pretty excited. I can't wait to share what they have in store. It's a pretty cool one. It's the opposite X spectrum of, you know, the table presence factor on this one. Awesome. Holy. Very cool. Uh, so what, what else has been going on? Uh, not not a lot. I mean, a lot, a lot, but not too much. Uh, here's a non-game topic. Uh, did you get Disney Plus? Yes, I was actually thinking about that. Yes, I, I got Disney Plus. I already saw the first episode of The Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah, um, it was pretty solid. Yeah, yeah. I was a little disappointed that it wasn't the Netflix model of, you know, they release right? every episode and you can watch them whenever you want. So it's just the first episode. And... I guess they're releasing them on Fridays, um, so a, a week apart, I guess. So, yep. but I, I think it'll be worth it. It, it. it had a, it started a little slow, but you know what series doesn't? But I'm very surprised with the quality of the production on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it just kind of the the because it has all the CGI components, you know, kind of like you know Star Wars, of course, 
Uh, but when it comes, it's a it's a TV show, so it, they've, they're doing a good job. So I'm looking forward to see where it goes. Yep. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, there was, it had a lot of things going for it. So, and I, I'm excited to see where it goes. Uh, I watched it the, the day it came out. Yeah. So I was bummed, though. I watched it earlier in the day, and that night my wife was traveling, and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to power through a bunch of these. And then was like, what? <laughs> so I, I had yeah, I had two hours to kill. So I watched the last hour and a half of Endgame on there, which I'd already seen. But uh. I, the, I'm really a big fan of the ending. So I, I watched kind of the the fight. If you've you've seen that, right? Yeah, yeah, I have. So once they're kind of ready to go with the mission, and they're everybody's back, and they're like, this is this is where we're gonna do right now. I started it there and yeah. watched it through the the big battles and stuff, and it was. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, I, I, I've seen yeah, it twice. I've been, I've been actually looking forward to watching it. It's just, I guess I actually um, got into a, an anime on Netflix. About, you know, I, 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 I like to read manga and and I used to watch anime a lot when I was younger. Cool. And it was a, this is a manga. It was actually the manga that inspired the game Spike that I, that I pitched last nice. time I was on the podcast. Um, it's a Haikyuu is called. It's a volleyball uh, anime that's on Netflix. And I've been binging that. So that was, the kind of, you know, not board game related, but it's been, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, it's board game related cool. adjacent because whenever I'm watching anything on Netflix or Disney Plus or whatever, I'm always cutting prototypes because that's a you know a good way to to multitask, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Yep. I, I do that a lot. I had the prototype I just finished today because um, I I had to make the the uh, PNP version to send to a publisher, and then I I printed my own so I could play test it this weekend, and uh, um, it is. It's 120 cards total, but 66 okay. of those cards are double-sided. So hmm. it's, you know, 180-ish cards, and it was, oh, my gosh, it was brutal. It was brutal, Julio. What 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 program do you use to make your cards? <laughs> I don't want to tell you. I don't want to tell you. Microsoft Word. Um, Microsoft <laughs> Word, okay. Again, I, I don't judge you. I use Microsoft Publisher. So. Right. No, and I... This this literally was pictures on cards. So I just I had banana had put a bunch of files out there, and I literally just had to grab them all and just place them on cards. It was the printing and cut. It was the cutting, like having to cut yeah. twenty one sheets of cards. I don't generally design games that are that large, um, and yeah. this is a compact game. It's just when you're making your own double sided cards by hand, it takes a lot longer. So, anyways, yeah. So I, cu I yeah, cut a lot, and I I guess a lot of card cutting. It's going to be a pain if you have to update the prototype and all that. But, I mean, it's, it's been laziness on my part not to learn Nandek or, or something like that. And at the same time, I think it's been very useful for me to use Microsoft Publisher because they have such uh, user-friendly, like, symbols and, and, I guess, scaling in the sense since a lot of my prototypes have the physical aspect to mm -hmm. them. I use the you know ruler and how much does this, uh, how long is this and how long does it have to be and that kind of stuff. So on right. the design aspect, when it comes to physical components, it's very useful. So yep, yeah, I use Photoshop so, for some of that. But so this this kind of winds us into our topic, right? Yes, yes, prototyping. That's uh, basically the topic that I'm gonna be uh, bringing to the table here. It's gonna be cutting corners in prototyping. And we're not talking about clipping the, corners uh, on cards. 
No, no, just cutting corners and trying to make things faster and cheaper and easier, really, in general. Um, and and the reason why this topic really came to mind was, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier about the Hippo Dice competition and me having to make uh, a Marvelous Works prototype, which is a, a pretty big prototype that I have to make, and, and I, I think it's a good opportunity for me to do so and, and send it to Germany. So this specific prototype has some coin tokens that I bought originally from the Game Crafter. There were medieval-style tokens, one and five coiners. So the ones were bronze and the the fives were were silver. And these were apparently like a closeout sale tokens. So when I went back to get some more, because I ran out of them, they didn't have the ones anymore. So I was a little bummed. So I took some fives and then some other ones that they have that weren't the same. But I'm like, whatever. So it was really like 50 tokens. And when I went to check out, you know, for 50 tokens plus shipping to North Carolina, it was like $20. Right. And I started thinking, man, should I really spend $20 on these tokens or can I do something else? And And the thing that came to mind was, why don't I just use cents and nickels as my prototyping, uh, you know, money? And because really what I actually needed is $1.50 in cents and nickels <laughs> to <laughs> for the prototype. And and I'm like, man, $20 versus $1.50. And I can just clean the, to- the, the cents and nickels, make them shiny. Another... Uh, Kevin Uity from Game Center of Carolina recommended to maybe spray paint them uh, because the reason why I hesitated is because every time I see a prototype that has, you know, real world money as a component, I see it as cheap. And I don't know why. I don't know if you feel the same way, but you see something like that, you always think, oh, it's an early stage. Yeah. Because we're so accustomed to having. Even when it comes to cubes, you would think, oh, cubes are very standard, but they're pretty norm when it comes to prototypes. Right. But why does, you know, having cents and nickels, it's, it's a, a problem. I mean, it may just be me. Right. So yeah. so I, I I don't think it looks cheap. I, and this is going to sound terrible when I say this because there's no basis for it. But like it's me being pretentious as a designer, frankly, but it's. It feels amateur when I see that, right? Like it feels like yeah. it feels like people like a bunch of like old dudes sitting around playing poker for pennies. That's what I think of when I see pennies, right? And that's a yeah. silly judgment to put on there because frankly, we all need to find ways to save money with this crap. Um Yeah. And you know, so so it's silly to feel that way, but I would be I would be afraid to send that to to a publisher that way that they might think, oh, this guy's using coins. Like, what the heck, you know? Right, right. And it's funny because if you really think about it, let's say you have, you know, $1.50 in tokens and the publisher ends up passing on the game, they can just keep the $1.50 you know, for their time. <laughs> Tip. <laughs> I always slip a 20 in mine. So. Oh, really? Really? That explains why you've signed a couple games lately, huh? <laughs> exactly. 
Well, yeah, so that's that's one of the things that I, I guess came to mind there. And really, what other really tactics or, or things that you do to cut corners on your prototyping process, but it doesn't cut on quality, really, just kind of the the prototype to make it easier for you? Right. I've got I've got one that I did recently. So I was in a hurry with a prototype together and I needed I needed betting tokens or cards. Okay. And I'd already printed off and cu- cut and sleeved all my cards. And then I realized that I didn't have these betting cards or tokens and I was like, I don't want to make cards. It's going to be a pain. I have to make the cards, I have to print the cards, I have to cut the cards. And then I was like, I've got these little tokens that I can just write numbers on. Well, the problem is if I write numbers on them, you can see through them. And I'm like, oh, like I don't want to put stickers on these. If I do that, I might as well make cards. And I'm having this kind of internal dialogue. And I look over and I have this big bag that I got for free from a place I worked a long time ago. Somebody, had, they had gotten all these pirate coins, these cheap plastic pirate coins. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, they literally had a bag of like a thousand of them that they had used for some game and they were going to throw them away. And I said, no, 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 no. I'll, I'll take them. Um, nice. And I've, so I still use them. Well, I look over and I happen to have this bag sitting out for, so I don't even know why. Uh, maybe one of my kids took some or something and I was like, you know what? I'm going to use those. So I took a Sharpie and on one side I drew a symbol and I made it different for each set so that it was easy to identify and then on the other side, I just um, wrote one through six. Like, so everybody had six tokens. It took me 10 minutes to do that, maybe less. Um, it looked like crap for the prototype, but it was a, <laughs> it was a first play test. I just needed to get it out there and see if it worked. And now I made some nicer cards for it. But I saved myself ink and time. And you know what? I'm just going to pitch those extra tokens and still have like 900 plus of them left. And if I have to buy more of those, they're super cheap and I can buy them in bulk, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So so anyways, yeah, that for me was an easy way to was to you know to to do that and that I don't I normally don't do that when making prototypes, not that my prototypes are fancy or anything, but I just like I get nervous like I said about cutting corners and having a publisher think like, "Oh, this is amateur hour," even though I've yeah. seen like really good designers with prototypes written on paper that look like garbage and they're good games and people are picking them up. So, you know, I mean, it's Yeah, yeah, I I get it and and, and it really is not just publishers really, it's just I guess the the designers and playtesters as well because there's a certain expectation of having, you know, the visual states what the prototype's uh, state is at, you know, exactly. the game state. So, I mean, and it, it works the same way the other way around where when you see a prototype that looks really, really nice, you expect it to be a, a game that's, you know, late in, in its later stages. Which and can be deceiving. Not, you know, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So it, it is definitely a balance there. Now, Another one that I have found out uh, lately is since I do a lot of crafting for for my prototypes, especially you know cutting with exacto knives and uh, cardboard and all that. Cardboard, you know, cardboard is usually free. You order a lot of stuff online and you get cardboard from it. So it's a it's a good material to use when you know you can print white, uh, black and white on your paper. Uh, glue it on cardboard and just cut it, trace the line, and and you can do that really easy. However, um, it, it is kind of, it takes some time because cardboard, it, it is pretty sturdy. So you have to do like multiple passes with an X-Acto knife. 
and and it takes some time. So what I actually done, I done actually an, maybe a little investment where I buy a poster a foam core board yep. uh, to do my prototypes. However, that is usually very expensive. You go to Staples uh, or Office Max or something, and they're like $5 for a 30-inch by 20-inch poster board. So I found out that uh, on the Dollar Tree, they they sell them at one dollar there oh yeah they have foam core boards 20 by 30 inches at one dollar each at, nice. the, at the dollar tree and sometimes they look like a little warped and stuff but again it's for prototypes so it, it, they work really well and the cool thing with foam core is that you can cut it with a secto knife and it cuts like you know not like yep. butter but it cuts really Compared nice and fast Exactly, exactly. So that's one that has definitely helped me on the speed front. And it's just, you know, it's, you can have, uh, usually with my prototypes, I can make two pl- prototypes with just one board. Right. So 50 cents, it's worth it, you know. Right. So so I got a tip from John Gilmore when I was at his office. He was showing me the stuff he does. So he spends more money on it. But he is, everything John does is about rapid prototyping, right? Like that's his mm. goal is how fast can I iterate on a prototype, right? So yeah. um, one of the things he does is Uline.com. You can buy eight and a half by 11 sheets of foam core in bulk. And you huh. have to buy like five or six boxes of it, right? But with eight and a half and 11 by 11, you know where I'm going here, right? He buys yeah. full page stickers, prints those, slaps them on there, and then just cuts them out. So he said that that makes it for them so that they can print and they can go really fast on those. He said it's a yeah. bit of an investment because you have to buy a lot of it. Obviously, if you're trying to mm-hmm. save money, your way is way better um, for that side. His way is just allowing him to do it a lot quicker, um, which you know for, for them, that's the main priority in their office there is they're trying to make multiple iterations of games throughout a week. Um, so to be able to do it fast is important. Yeah, and 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 I see, and I see how that would be useful, and and for them, you know, they they're making I don't know maybe fifteen prototypes a a week. That's definitely uh, very useful to buy that in bulk. But I guess the normal, uh, you know, people that don't do this for a living, you you can maybe make two prototypes a week based on the time that you spend and and all that. So that's I guess you know the Dollar Tree just get. Uh, board for a dollar and that's that's uh, yeah. uh, g- as good as any right i would probably um, opt for your way for now just because it's cheaper and i'm cheap um but it's <laughs> we're, we're presenting two different options for people you know that they could pursue yeah yeah for sure and another one that i have some people have told me and i haven't really bought them but i'm considering now especially with the token problem um is that uh there are like hole punchers that are in shapes so you can get star shaped uh punchers uh and circle shaped and square shaped punchers kind of like paper punchers uh hole punchers oh, wow. kind of thing, okay. thing. but uh, they're a bigger scale that you just press and and they, it makes a hole so when you have something like foam core boards you can just press it and have a on the other side have like a cutting mat or something and you're just making tokens that way that's nice yeah, and and I don't know where, where. I mean, you can probably check on Amazon or eBay, but I'm definitely gonna be checking those out because it's definitely one of those things that is going to the game crafter to get tokens is nice and all, but it does get expensive, especially when it comes to having uh, um, shipping and all that stuff. 
It, it does get expensive right. unless I usually wh- what I usually do is I order things like in, bu- in bulk. So I make a list of everything that I need or everything I think I would need in the future, and I just order everything in bulk. And of course, I get I have to pay less shipping with everything together. Right. So yeah, that's that's one way to to do it. Anything other- else on your? Yeah, if you're looking to save money with tokens, to make tokens cheaply, there are two suggestions I've got. Um, the, the simplest, cheapest one is that I've found is if you're comfortable just using cubes, right? Like even for money, you can use, like if I have to have one source of money, like I will always just use cubes for that because it's just easier. Like a cube is, a, is one money or one energy or whatever, right? Um yeah. Uh, but if I need two, maybe I just use two colors, right? Uh, because that's you know that's fine, um, especially if you have a code breaker so that they can see it when they're playing. But anyways, um, you can get the cubes in Amazon on bulk. I want to say it's twenty or thirty bucks for a thousand one centimeter cubes, ten colors, a hundred of each color. I've bought it twice now. I'm I'm about to buy another batch of it. Um, and it's fantastic. I mean, it basically makes them a throwaway component that like if yeah. you have to destroy them for something like I actually have one game that I was looking at earlier where I wrote on one side of them. Like I drew either zeros or X's on them um, and then you would just put them face down and then when you would reveal them what they actually were and that was way cheaper and faster than making bigger tokens. Um, but the other thing is they make these counting uh, squares that you can get for from teacher stuff on Amazon as well. I think it's, uh, I don't, they're like uh, one inch by one inch, or maybe they're a half inch by half inch, I'm not sure, uh, little square pieces, and they're hard mm-hmm. plastic. You get a few hundred in a thing. So if you're just looking to make a handful of tokens or something like that, and you want them to feel better quality, you take those and slap some stickers on them, and they're gorgeous. So yeah, and they come in multiple colors too. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I, I bought that uh, that like tub of cubes and it's been definitely very useful and i th- i think i'm yeah i bought like two as well and but it's just i guess and on this spe- specific situation since the game is is pretty compressed and but it's a big experience game i guess but ha- when you need you know 30 some coins it's just having it in cubes of course you have a cube that's a five and ten it's just hard right. to to i guess conceptualize that so but yeah it's definitely we're, we're depending on on your design as well um another thing that i guess i can i can say i've i've done is with uh you know sleeving your your cards especially if you use card stock um it has definitely helped me a lot and and you can buy you know the the penny sleeves a lot of you know board game stores or game stores they just sell you know a dollar for a hundred sleeves that's that's a that's a really good deal especially if maybe you don't even need cardstock and you can print out a normal paper and just use a, a hard back of of a card like a playing card and again you go on the Dollar Tree or something, and you can get a deck of cards for a dollar. Or there's probably somewhere you can get them even you cheaper get than that. Two for a dollar usually. The one I go to, yeah. they'll have two packs together, so that's 104 cards minimum. Sometimes 108 yeah. to 110 cards, depending on the other extra crap they put in there. Um, yeah, yeah, um, and it gives it. You know, it, you have a, a a playing card with a, on a sleeve, and you just change the key, the sleeve front, the the card. I guess the the paper on the sleeve and and it gives it that snap for shuffling and all that. 
but I especially think it's useful for tiles, especially when you have to make square square tiles, a simple, you know, two and a half by two and a half tile. What I do is, you know, a normal card is two and a half by three and a half, a standard size card, uh, inch, two and a half inch by three and a half inch. So what I do is I just take the the tile, I cut it like normal uh, on a, you know, on a, a card stock. I put it on the sleeve and of course the sleeve is bigger than that. So I just take it and cut the sleeve up to size. So I just, and that's how I make two and a half by two and a half sleeves and just get tiles that way. Oh, so wow. I don't have to worry about, about cutting foam core or cardboard because yep. you can, you know, you can, you can have used cards as tiles and that's pretty acceptable when it comes to having a good uh, quality prototype, really. And I, so I prefer colored sleeves, like multicolored sleeves, um, mm. rather than just a clear one. So I actually buy them from the, B, I think it's BCI. Let me look. Um, BCW, BCW uh, online. And you can buy them in bulk and get pretty good prices uh, if you buy them in bulk. So I invested about 40 bucks in buying, I don't know, thousands, a couple thousand of them or something of different colors. Um, and that just made it easier for me to make prototypes because I do so many card games. I like to yeah. like, for instance, the card game I was just putting together, everybody's got different, everybody has betting cards, right? And I like those yeah. easily identifiable from the sleeves. So I have six different colors, six different players. Everybody gets a different color one. It works out great. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that makes sense. But of course with the, uh, with the uh, clear cards you if you want to use the back of the card as part of the gameplay in some way that that allows it to do that as well right without having to print a card back or something i do though i do buy the clear sleeves to make double-sided cards because then i just yeah yeah that's what i'm talking about oh i'm sorry okay i misunderstood yes so yeah exactly the clear sleeves when you want to make a double-sided card double-sided tiles is definitely uh useful that way as well Right. I thought you were saying that, yes, it's nice for the colors are also nice for differentiating, right? So different card types just have different color backs rather than having to make waste the time to make a real back for the card, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Anything, anything else on, on cutting corners and prototyping? Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Um, cause for, I guess one thing I, I've kind of had a difficult time, um, is getting boxes that are, are good quality boxes for prototypes because you know I like to use the box as part of the game usually sometimes um, and and I use again I buy them from the game crafter and and when I, but since I moved to North Carolina shipping is a lot more expensive like to get two boxes you know it's like I don't know 20 bucks for two boxes on shipping ouch ouch <laughs> yeah yeah, so, but having a good replacement for a box that simulates the board game box is definitely very hard because those are very, right. very specific type of boxes. So I think it's still worth it. And of course, once you have a lot of prototypes, you can start, you know, if, if a previous prototype didn't work out too well, you can just use the box from that one. So that's kind of what I've been, I've been doing lately. Sorry, you were going to say something else? I was going to say that I, so I switched to using literature mailer, mailers because I make smaller games. So I bought those in mm-hmm. bulk off Amazon, um, and those are nice because you can actually put the game in it, and then put oh. a label right on it, and just mail it right in that box. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, but those nice. are real nice. They you know they seal because they've got the the kind of the 
the little sleeve goes in, you know, to lock it in. Um, so I yeah. use those exclusively now for my games, and I, I love it. Um, but again, you're making bigger stuff, so you need bigger boxes. Um, the other thing I was going to say was, I because I work a lot with some specific things, like I make lots of games that something will involve cards with numbers, right? That I have, mm-hmm. I have proto like saved files of cards with numbers on them, like in the corner. Oh. And then if I need to go yeah. in, I do a file save as, and then I go in and I can drop different artwork in there on them. And that yeah. saves me a lot of time for trying to be a little faster about those prototypes um, because I, I like games with cards with numbers on them. So um, so that's something I – and it took me like a year to realize like, hey, dummy, why don't you do save these so you can quit remaking the same prototype? Um, so yeah, and, anyways. And, I, and you bring a good point because another thing – I mean, a prototype is just not it, not just a game. The prototype is also something like the rules of the game. And having a standardized process for just the prototyping making, uh, like when it comes to a print and place and stuff like that, it's good. But also something I do for my rule books, you know, uh, I I have a standard, uh, uh, I guess, set of how the rules are are staged, I guess. Me too. So I guess the format, the format. So basically I just have the standard format and whenever I have a new game, I just do the save as and start changing the information and depending of course on how heavy the game is it's how many examples i have and visual representation of the game and stuff like that but that's definitely a way to you know cutting corners is just having a standardized process not just for your for cards or, or the prototyping tiles and stuff like that but just your rules as well would be nice yep no same thing uh with me is i uh i have a I, my format is pretty simple so I, I mean, I don't, I just start it from scratch every time, but it's, I mean, I know it so well that as I start typing the rules, I'm just building the format out as I go. And then sometimes I'll have to add in some definitions or some extra examples or maybe some pictures. I don't always need that. Um, Cause my goal for most of my games, my goal is the rules will be one page front and back. That's what I shoot for. Um, hmm. And that is, that is not always doable. Um, but I rarely have to have more than three pages or two pages front and back at the most, but I can usually hit one page front and back. Some of my games, I can do one page of rules, like yeah, one side, one page. Nice. And I feel really good about that. Cause it's like, I'm not asking you to read a lot publisher, you know, like that's true. That's so. true. And still sometimes they don't read them. <laughs> right. 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 No. And, and to that point, there's also, uh, something I, I, Kevin Yudi from the Game Design of Southern Carolina uh, recommended this, and I think it's called it's a website called Photo BG, and BG stands uh, um, is stands for background, and basically this is a website where it just removes the background of a photo where you have an object. So as long as your background on the photo is is a you know normal color or, or a static solid color, it'll remove it, so it turns it into a vector automatically. Interesting. So it, yeah, and I think it's called Photo BG. Maybe call something else, but if you Google it, you'll find it really quickly. Uh, so looks like it's as long as your background is remove.bg. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. So uh, if you have a, a background that's more or less uh, the same color, it'll remove it and just have that little vector 
image for you to use especially if you want to maybe be fast on when you have examples and stuff like that you don't want to do like graphic design examples and stuff like that you just set it up on the table take pictures remove the backgrounds and it looks a nicer than just a picture on the on the rule book wow that's that's cool <laughs> also um one thing since we're talking about this and, and examples and all that I, I use I have an iPad and I use an app called Vectornator, um, and in this app you can draw vectors. And if you want to make a vector of something specifically, you know I like to use symbols for my prototypes a lot. And you can't find it, you just make one. I mean, it's a drawing that you're making, and you can edit it and and have it look nicer than you know you're not an artist and stuff like that but you know making stick figure type symbols is not that hard if you just put an extra five minutes or ten minutes to do so and you can right. get a good uh vector out of it yep yeah and i use um i'm really impressed with the tools that um the uh <laughs> what is the name of that website that we all use um, uh Board game Nantic? icons. Board game icons. Oh, 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 yeah. The noun project and and yeah. Well, game what I like icons.net. Yeah. What I like about boardgameicons.net or gameicons.net is what it is. Yeah, um, is that you actually can alter it right in there. Like you can break it apart. You can recolor stuff and then save it out from there. So for somebody yeah. like me who sucks at Photoshop, I don't have to pull it into Photoshop and do a bunch of stuff to it. I can just change the color right there. So that's that. And if you are like doing it a certain way, like with like I'm making it a round token instead of square and do this, the next one you pull in starts in that format. Yeah. So you tweak very little. So, yeah, I like it a lot. Nice. Nice. OK, so any any last uh, tips for cutting corners and prototypes? No, I think we got it. Cool. Cool. So you think I, I can pitch a game? Yeah, let's do it. Pitch away, sir. Cool, cool. So let's uh, let's see workshopping again here. Uh, this is uh, a game called DDR, Dice Dice Revolution. All right. Um, yeah. So I, I I've I was a big video gamer when I was younger. I still am, um, but not as much, obviously. But uh, and I loved playing Dance Dance Revolution when I was younger. And and this game, I think it's I don't know, probably like my 17th design or something and it's a game that uses music as a main component of the game and it uses the box as the game interaction so basically you have a box and it's a 12 by 12 box it's a pretty big box um and each uh wall of the box has a ramp and so there's four ramps on each wall on the inside of the box so you're not playing on mm -hmm. the outside of the box you're playing on the inside kind of like right. a bowl and these ramps go from the wall to the center. And in the center, there's a smaller bowl. And But these bowls have a little hole where the ramps meet. Not I guess not where they meet, where they end. So in this game, you are using songs as the round timers of the game. And not just that, each song plays a little differently the way you're rolling dice. Because you're, trying, you're rolling dice, you're trying to get the you roll four dice every time and you're trying to get the you draw cards that are called dance cards these cards have three different die 
iterate uh, I guess iterations. So one is just a die phase, a normal die phase. The other one is two dies die phases, and the third one is a continuous die phase. Um, and what that means is that the no single die phase is just you're rolling your four dies and you roll them until you get that die phase. And once you do, you place it on your card and then you toss it from behind your the wall of the box through the the ramp and you try to get it in that little hole in the middle. So it has actually a, a levels of accuracy stated by the ramp. So the ramp, whenever you put it in the hole, that's a perfect. If you miss, but it stays close to the hole, it's a great. If you miss and it's a little farther, it's a good. And if you miss completely and it just bounces off, off the, the, to the corner of the box, it's a bad. So the whole perfect, <laughs> great, good, bad uh, kind of right. mechanism there. But the cool thing is that the perfect, so since it's a hole and it goes inside this little uh, box, inside the box, the perfect, it's hard to get because it's just a little hole, but you can get multiple because it goes inside the hole and, and the dice just stay there. So, But it, there's always area to get more perfects. You can get a, a complete perfect game if you get exactly the dice in there. But it, So it's about speed and it, it's simultaneous play. Because everybody's playing on their own side of the of the box and to the beat of the music and maybe one song that tells you that you can only use your non-dominant hand as as the as for this round and every time this sound comes up you have to do a silly like a dab or something like that so it's a it was kind of like a party party game but there was also a cool thing that I implemented it was the, a combo system so this is the gaming thing here where the, each card that you completed had two sides and they had arrows on them, kind of Dance Dance Revolution style uh, arrows. And on the outside of the box, you had uh, these uh, symbols that you need to connect to get the most arrows at the end of the each round. So it's kind of like a overlapping cards and you have four different columns that you would overlap on. But you're trying mm -hmm. to have the the most amount of arrows at the end to get more points. So, and it by itself, it's such a simple puzzle. But when you add the real time dexterity, and it, the all the crazy people doing things, it just adds enough difficulty to make it interesting and fun that way. So basically, at the end of each round, you would score based on where your dice fell. So a perfect would be three points. A uh, great would be two, a good would be one, and a bad would be zero. And then each uh, arrow shown on your combo would be one extra point. And you basically had whoever has the most points wins the round and gets a little clip on the box wall. And this clip actually limits your tossing ability, so you have to toss from farther. So if you get a win it, it, for the next round, you have, you're have you at a little disadvantage there. There's nice. something, I guess, to catch a mechanism there. And, and basically the first to two or three rounds wins the game. And the original prototype had like three songs that I actually, you know, it, it's a prototype. So I just use like DDR songs and stuff like that, kind of that nostalgia factor. And, and but I went, you know, on, on like, I cut the, 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 the songs to just be a minute and a half each. And I put it on, on YouTube, just like a private, my channel, but in private so nobody can access them. And I put the the song cards 
I put a QR code, so you would just take your phone out, scan nice. it, and you and you would use your phone as the you know speaker for for the song. So that's kind of Dice Dash Revolution, and this is a game that actually is not um, shelved. It's a game that I'm still pitching. It's just a hard sell because it, I guess it, it has like a lot of dice um, for the experience. I guess because it's a 20 minute game type deal and and it's a big box and a lot of dice so so it does this is one of those games that i thought that you know the production factor is pretty high for the experience but it's still such a fun game so i still have it and kind of sometimes when nobody's are like it's late on a convention and stuff like that i can bring it out and just play it because it's a fun game not necessarily because it's something that i want to sign or something but if i can maybe somebody can can it will be interested in and do it in their own way because of course there's the whole app integration and songs and stuff like that which is something another matter that i don't even know where to start on <laughs> right but if you find the right publisher i mean that that could be really really cool you need to pitch that to a publisher that can get that license for you <laughs> yeah yeah um and i mean you know there's a i guess it's idw has the Metal Gear game coming out, and that's Konami, and Dance Dance Revolution is Konami. And I reached out to them, but there hasn't been much. I guess they they never responded. So it's one of those things, you know. I'm not a known designer and stuff like that. So maybe once my game start coming out, I'll I'll, I'll try it again. Maybe. <laughs> right. Right. No, that, but yeah, that I mean, sounds like a, a riot. Yeah, and, and I had really good feedback on it, and it, it's been one of those games that people keep getting uh, good, uh, positive interaction and a lot of fun and stuff like that. But I know it's just, I, I in this one specifically, I would ask people on the playtest, how much would you pay for this game? And I actually got like 15, 20 bucks, and that's definitely very prohibitive for, for that specific right, design right, with all right. the, with the little components and all that. So... Yeah, that's one of those that um, if any of the builders out there have some, uh, I, of course, they haven't seen the game, and they may probably go on my Twitter and scroll down a couple months and, and find a video <laughs> or two of the game. Um, but if there are any ideas of what to do with it, you know, reach out, let me know. Very cool, very cool. All right, do you got anything uh, else you want to plug or talk about? Well, like I said earlier, I'll be at PAX Unplugged. By the time this airs, PAX Unplugged will be the week after on December 6th um, or 4 to 6 or something like that. So if you want to, I'll be at the Unpub room, which I think is like 50 tables. It's crazy how they, they have like a lot of space for unpublished games. And last year, it was full. And the thing with PAX wow. Unplugged is that it has their audience is more on the mass market side. So if you get to play to play test a game, try to bring a game that's not on its early stages because that audience is more for, oh, I want to try out something new that's is not out yet, but at least it's fun. So it's not it's more about that having that kind of feedback where you get feedback from looking at your playtesters. Not necessarily right. that may give you the best feedback, but um, I'll be there I guess the later on on friday and early saturday which is four hours each cool and so i'll be there and reach out if you want to do something and and i'll be 
having some meetings and stuff. So if any publishers out there want to meet and, and see what I've got working on, I'll be happy to show as well. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Well, with that, uh, let's do the ending stuff. Um, all right. If you want to find us online, you can go to buildingthegamepodcast.com. You can email us at buildingthegamepodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook. You can also find us on Twitter at PodcastBTG. I am at J.A. Slingerland. And Julio is? At Hunasaru. J-U-N-A-Z-A-R-U. All right. And you can also find us on all the podcast places. Give us some more reviews. We love reviews. As I said in the last episode, give us a five-star review. Uh, you can say as many bad things as you want in the review. Just give us five <laughs> stars and then talk about how much you hate us. That's okay. Uh, we still appreciate the nice ratings. So, um, all right. With all that, uh, sure. we say uh, good night. Good night. Buenas noches. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Dial 770-TELL-BTG. Please don't use the email.